I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is obstetrician Alan Lindemann, MD. Uh, We're going to be discussing pregnancy during the pandemic. Seven questions to ask when deciding where to deliver your baby. New research shows that deaths from conditions unrelated to COVID-19 have increased during the pandemic. Experts suggest that this may be because people are avoiding hospitals and not seeking help. And this trend has extended beyond illness, injury, or disease to include pregnant women. Should expecting mothers choose home birth or hospital birth during the pandemic? during the pandemic. Dr. Alan Lindemann answers this question and discusses the considerations that expecting mothers should take during this time. He teaches women and their families how to create the outcomes they want for their own personal health and pregnancy. In his nearly 40 years of practice, Dr. Lindemann has delivered about 6,000 babies and achieved a maternal mortality rate of zero. Uh, in addition, he received the Rural Health Care Provider of the Year from the North Dakota Rural Health Association in 2012. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Dr. Lindemann. Well, thank you very much, Catherine, for inviting me. It's my pleasure. So, first question. Should expecting mothers choose home birth or hospital birth during the pandemic? What do we do? Well, it depends on what you're comfortable with. Um, for example... Did you know that labor can stop when you go to a hospital? And sometimes um, you will be offered Pitocin, which um, then leads most likely to an epidural. Well, so when you go to a hospital, I I just want to clarify that because I know you've said this, that labor stops because a mother is anxious, over-concerned, all of those things. And I would assume during a pandemic, one would be afraid that, you or your baby might be exposed to the virus. That could be a reason, as you, I, I guess I'm asking you, a reason for delaying the labor or labor stopping because of the, the environment. It, well, certainly you hit the, the point there is fear. Fear will stop labor. And um, so that's one of the reasons that FIGO, and that's the International um, Federation of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, recommends that if you do go to a hospital that you make sure that your labor is well established before you go in. So, in other words, you don't go there too soon and you're sitting around and then panic? <laughs> which Exactly, and then you get yeah. the epidural and then you get the um, Foley catheter and then you can't get out of bed. But, Doctor, what about the fact that, let's say, how dangerous is it? Or I, I don't know if, you know, I guess just different hospitals you have a different answer for, but how dangerous is it to have a baby in the hospital during the pandemic? How exposed are pregnant women? Are they, how do they separate them from the other patients? Well, certainly um, <clears throat> there's a maternity ward and they have the nurses that are only working maternity. They don't go to other places. So, okay, so then they would not have been, well, we assume they may have, I mean, you could be exposed in other places but the hospital. So they're separate. So the maternity ward is completely separate. That's Uh, correct. Okay. So let's, um, I think you sort of started touching on this. Once you get to the hospital, uh, one of the issues is um, you sort of lose 
a hospital birth, you lose your autonomy. You're not necessarily making the decisions as the mother um, or her husband, partner, whoever it is. Uh, the hospital sort of takes over. Can you talk about that? You sort of get into a system that you have no control over. Well, of course, <clears throat> loss of autonomy is a serious issue for many patients. As a matter of fact, informed consent, there are four parts to that, and one of them is autonomy. Um, and autonomy just means that you can make your own decisions and you are volu- voluntarily making the decisions. Um, and one of the big problems we have is that loss of autonomy starts with your insurance company telling you what hospital you can or can't go to and what doctor you can or can't go to. Uh, and, of course, many insurance companies will not cover services of midwives. So, in other words, if you want to have a midwife, you can have a midwife accompanying a physician during a, a labor, can't you? I did. That's why I'm asking. Yes, you so can, I'm, and yeah. there's also the option of having a doula, which is really somebody who watches out very much for the mother. But, you know, when the, <clears throat> what I like to see is the father of the baby being the doula. In other words, um, they are involved with their prenatal care. They come in with the, their spouse or their significant other uh, to labor and delivery, and they stay there and they offer support. You know, just something as simple as hand-holding. Uh, and my question is, how how good are partners, fathers? It could actually it could be another woman, whoever it is, who's the the partner. Um, <clears throat> how good are they at doing that? I mean, because doulas and midwives are, have a to me anyway are very special people, well trained. They they know how to manage the delivery and and some doulas in some hospitals. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, the doula works very well with certain physicians. You can pick a doula sort of in a physician together. I don't know if that's, is that how it works in your hospital, for instance? It can work that way. Um, I never, I was never offended by having a doula present. I um, always felt comfortable with them. And, um, but that's one of the reasons I like for fathers uh, to come to the prenatal care with mothers because you can get them to um, invest in their pregnancy and their child and also, of course, their significant other. So they are helpful. Is there any major difference you see now with the pandemic? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different kinds of, of fears or questions that they may have uh, or, you know, delivering a baby right now. Uh, emotional issues that come up? Yes, there are. Um, certainly, one of the big problems is the limitation of the uh, m- amount of people and the choice of people in the um, labor and delivery. And that would be another reason to have fathers come to the prenatal class because fathers are um, about the only person allowed now in labor and delivery. So you're not very likely going to have um, a doula um, and a doctor or a doula and a midwife. The number of patients, the number of people in the room is kept to a minimum. So, so that would be a major reason, actually, right, to have the, the partner involved uh, from the beginning uh, during this pandemic. 
that I would seem to me that's critical. So because you're really limited to just the physician, I assume, unless of course it's some kind of a high risk pregnancy. What are what if what if it is a high risk pregnancy? Then what? Because that makes it different than if it isn't, isn't it or doesn't it? It it does depend, but it really depends on why is the pregnancy high risk. Um, in our nation, we have three major causes of maternal mortality. You've got uh, hemorrhage, high blood pressure, and infection. Um, <clears throat> hemorrhage is fast and short. In other words, it's, it happens in a relatively um, defined amount of time, whereas blood pressure, that will go up over um, weeks or sometimes even months. So those are two different things that you know, require a lot of different um, solutions. So if, if you are high risk, do you recommend high risk patients or mothers having their babies at home as opposed to the hospital now during COVID-19? Well, certainly there are, if you look at ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they have um, a pattern here. They say that you should uh, live within 15 minutes of a hospital. Uh, You should not have had a previous C-section. And of course, if you have multiples, they recommend hospital birth. And the breach, of course, they recommend hospital birth. So I guess for the time being, I would agree with ACOG. What about... Yeah, go ahead. Certainly with COVID on board, that would be more of a reason to have birth at home. Okay, so birth at home. One of the things that keeps sort of coming up that I read about and don't know much about is this... uh, uh, wanting blood type, uh, and I read some recent studies show that those with the O blood type may have some additional protection against COVID nineteen. So, well, yes, that, that, yeah, is that true? Well, I think it is true. You know, I've read some of those articles too, and the theory is that O blood type has antibodies to A and B and that those antibodies protect against COVID. So in terms of having a baby, what does that mean? Um, I would say that it it certainly would make um, birth at home a little bit um, better, Mm -hmm. um, better choice. Or could it be like if you had... If you weren't so worried about getting COVID, you could go to a hospital too, because or, or you may be less fearful, I guess, if you had blood type O. If you went to a hospital because you are protected or you have the antibodies, so you may well, have the certainly, antibodies. Well, certainly, yes, that's a good uh, point. It, um, <laughs> it can work either way, I guess. So you, in the beginning, I, I read that short intro about you, and it said you've delivered almost six thousand babies in your career. Uh, yes. Can you? Yeah, so talk to us about maybe some of the most difficult ones. Uh, do you do home births, I guess I should start with that, or are all your births in hospital? Uh, they are in the hospital, yeah. What I'd like to see, and this is um, is a combination, that is um, the autonomy of delivering at home, because that's the reason you deliver at home, combined with the emergency services of a hospital. And I think 
such a uh, an, um, concept has um, um, some efficacy. So how do you do that? Well, right now it's just in my head. But what I would do, years ago when I had, um, pa- I had patients coming from 200 miles away, well, it's hard to manage blood pressure and placenta previa and bleeding and eclampsia from 200 miles. We had something that we called um, a hotel room in the hospital. And for $15 a day, patients could stay in that room. And it was one floor below labor and delivery. So whenever they needed something, they could either call or they could you know, go up one flight in an elevator. But when the patient stayed there, they did not have any nurses, and they could have spouses and children coming and going. And nobody, nobody um, was injured by that. In other words, every single person who lived or stayed in my hotel rooms, and some of them were there for six weeks, everybody did well. There were no deaths. There were no preterm births. There were no uh, out-of-hospital births. It was quite successful, and I think we could do something like this again, especially if we want to decrease the maternal mortality rate, which we need to do, by the way. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense because I'm thinking you're a doctor who practices in a rural area, a rural physician. So living 200 miles away from the hospital and thinking that you're going to go into labor and have to go 200 miles to get to the hospital could be very anxiety-provoking. Uh, you don't even have to be 200 miles away, but, the, you know, in, in rural areas you're so, you know, not – you don't have a lot of neighbors sometimes or there's not a lot of help available. So – being able to be in that kind of a situation uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so is this something that you've introduced in your area or to your hospital, or is it just something that... I have used that uh, technique for a long time. Um, uh-huh. One of the, um, the issues with the hotel, when I started it, I didn't even tell the um, CEO or the... Um, hospital administrator that I was doing it. Um, so I don't know what they would have said if they would have found out, but everything did go well for for everybody there. And I think this is a, a model that we could um, re- uh, duplicate, replicate. Yeah. It sounds like a good model. I mean, I, I had three babies. The first one was a traditional hospital, losing your birth, losing your autonomy, you know, busy, all of those kinds of things. Second one was a little less, it was in hospital, but uh, there is, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking there are certain things that uh, when you get in the hospital that they do to you just as a matter of routine, even if you don't need it. Uh, you're in labor, they move you into another bed to go into an operating room, which is not only painful, but disconcert. You know, all of those small things that they do to you, it doesn't even uh, affect your your anxiety level, I would say. So I'll just end my story with the third one I had at the doctor's house. She had a, a uh, uh, she had set up a sort of, not a hospital, but she, you know, she had emergency equipment 15 minutes from the hospital. She 
um, got in bed with you, delivered the baby. So the baby was delivered, not comfort for the mother. Uh, you know, I, I think I was, I was like on all, I'm telling you my story, but on all fours, she got underneath me instead of me lying there as they traditionally do with women in stirrups with your legs up, which is kind of the opposite of what you're trying to do, get pushing the baby out. It was a great experience and went home eight hours later and that was it. <laughs> so that's my, well, it, yeah. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I have done is have mothers, first of all, I don't, we call it breaking the bed. I don't break the bed. Um, and, of course, nobody gets a routine enema um, and IVs if they are needed, but not standard. And I always have my patients deliver on their sides, and that is if they want to deliver that way. And that would be very similar to what you're talking about, is hands and knees. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, And I had the comparison because this was the third the third baby, but and there was a midwife, and I, I want to add that piece because you did mention midwives and doulas. The midwife, knew, and I am not a touchy-feely person, but she knew exactly sort of where to touch and where it would feel good while the doctor's in the process of delivering the baby. Not sure that my ex-husband <laughs> was good at that. That's why I asked you the question about, you know, the partners being doulas or practicing some of the same things that they do. So... Depends on the person, I guess. But the midwife was great. And the midwife and the doctor worked in com- in uh, together. So it's a good well, team. Well, I have always respected midwives. And, of course, there's a difference between one who is officially trained and one who is a lay midwife. But one of the neat things that happened in Minnesota was that the um, medical board decided to license lay midwives. So that really brought them into the fold. Um, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Why do you think many doctors are threatened by midwives? Why is that? Well, you know, years ago, back when, 40 years ago when I was a resident, we were told that doctors and hospitals were good and uh, um, midwives and home deliveries were bad. It was just a really simple thing. Um, and there wasn't any... Um, emphasis on autonomy. But doctors are very fussy or very sensitive about turf. And I think this is really a turf situation. In other words, the doctors view the um, client as uh, a possession. You, know, you are going to do what I tell you to do. I, I think that's a good point, and I'm wondering the younger doctors now, because this is another generation of doctors and patients too. Uh, is it different? Uh, because medicine um, has changed. Yeah, medicine has changed a lot, but I think as far as attitudes and um, invasive procedures, the younger doctors are probably more invasive than the older ones. When I started my first practice. The old doctor said, the best thing for you to do with your hands is to sit on them. So he understood after years of practice to be less invasive rather than more invasive. And when you say and more invasive, right. yeah. yeah, well, is that because also they use the, all these machines, even on not high-risk mothers, for instance, you know, strapped down on the yeah. bed with the, all that kind of stuff, and they're looking at the the data rather than actually looking and asking the patient how they're feeling. Um, you see, I used to do hospital social work um, and uh, 
that's part of it, isn't it? I mean, like the well, there's a really there's several problems that um, that cause in um, invasive procedures. One of them is the idea that you have to deliver in 24 hours. In other words, once your amniotic sac is ruptured, you're, you're on the clock and you have to deliver in 24 hours. And that's one of the reasons we have pitocin and one of the, and the reason we have the epidural. So invasion is basically um, the 24-hour clock thing. I and mean, that is not true. I mean, in my experience, that isn't true. I often let mothers go 36 hours if that was what they were, you know, if they would endorse that. So it's not dangerous to the mother or the baby, depending on this particular situation is what you're saying. It's not just everybody has to deliver within 24 hours and that's it. I I think that is actually a dangerous idea. It causes a a lot of um, problems. And, you know, if you're looking at money, the induction in the United States runs around $15,000. Um, so it is expensive in terms of money, but also in terms of autonomy. $15,000 for an induction. So yeah. who's making the money on that? Well, the hospital makes most of the money. You know, if you look at where the money goes, you know, if you, say, for example, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, the doctor and the hospital bill were about the same. Now, there's a tremendous difference. And I would say that, you know, the average doctor um, bill for that would be um, $2,500 or $3,000, and the rest of it would be hospital. So, I guess you're tying in, like, deliveries and hospitals are also tied into finance. <laughs> Who makes money how and when? Um, yes. It, doesn't, yep. Yeah which doesn't have too much to do with the delivery itself or, or the babies. Uh, so I mentioned just, okay, 6,000 births. Any that stand out for you that you talk about? That I mean, there must be some that were um, in, oh, more... Believe me, there, yeah. were, there were many. I had probably the pinnacle of my career was the delivery of the quads. And um, this lady, I was the fourth doctor uh, who she came to see because... In the world of infertility, four babies is considered a mistake. So they talk about um, reduction, which means putting in uh, potassium into the amniotic fluid and, of course, ending the life of two of the four. So when she came to me, I asked her what she wanted. She said she wanted to keep all four, and we kept all four, and they delivered. And as a matter of fact, we made a video on that. Uh, they are now 22 years old. It's so that was quad. one of the most exciting points, yes. Well, it must have been. Well, the actual delivery, I mean, were you doing it yourself? And how much was she in hospital for a long time before the delivery? Quads are, I mean, I guess very high risk, obviously. Um, so how long, you know, was she in the hospital before the birth? I mean, I'm assuming you're monitoring her all the time. What happened to her was she came in um, on Tuesday night and she delivered 
early on Thursday morning. It was like um, 30 minutes after midnight. So she wasn't in the hospital very long. And she did very well with, with the um, agreement that I had with most of my uh, mothers. In other words, they take some or much responsibility for their outcomes. And they do that by sometimes altering their activity. In other words, um, a lot of moms have worked, you know, five days a week outside the home, you know, eight hours a day. And when I would ask them to modify their activity, it would, I would decrease it to five hours a day from eight rather than have three, um, three days of eight hours each. So working less each day is one way to extend a pregnancy and the uh, watch blood pressure too. And of course, I started having patients take their own blood pressure. That was about 40 years ago. And they have done very well with that. It's one of the reasons I never had any patients with eclampsia. Eclampsia is when women with preeclampsia have a seizure. So, in other words, and we only have a couple minutes left, taking, I guess, sort of um, in ending the interview, and if people want, I, I just want to say, if people do want more information about you, we can go to lindemanmd.com to that go to your exactly website. That is exactly right, and you can watch the video for free. I mean, the video of the quads, mom and dad, uh, dad changed 7,000 diapers a month. Good for him. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I sort of what you were just starting to say, you have your patients take responsibility, and I said that in the beginning, I think in the intro, for the outcome of their pregnancy by taking responsibility for what they do, as you said, changing their work habits. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of other things that they have to do uh, to you know, mitigate some of these problems. And um, I think that does... And gain back the autonomy um, or to make, make sure that they do have control over their their birth, um, which is a very positive thing. That is, um, yeah. So, any we have two minutes left. Anything you want to say to us before we say goodbye? Well, I have one other uh, in, um, interesting delivery, and that is I delivered uh, twin breeches. They were both breech, and I delivered them vaginally. So... I am in favor of the vaginal breach birth, at least if it's done in the right place, the right way. Yeah, I guess it's always best if you can do deliveries vaginally. That's the best way. I'm sort of yeah, wincing I, in pain as you're saying it, but besides that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you delivered twins, healthy twins, breach birth vaginally. Yep. So yeah, they were about seven and a half pounds each. They were big big babies, but mom had delivered previously a 10-pounder, so these were actually very easy for her. So she was ready to go. It's a pleasure talking to you today, Dr. Alan Lindemann, MD, obstetrician, um, and we've covered a lot of talk- topics, but answered some of the questions about uh, where and when to deliver your baby. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 